so uh, it doesn't happen very often, but every now and then um, I'll meet somebody and they'll find out I'm a pastor, and it's usually those from um, a, a Catholic background, and they'll say, uh, they'll call me Father Tim, so in the spirit of that and the spirit of Father's Day, I decided to dress the part um, today without the collar. It's either that or a barber. You can, you choose whatever, whatever you want. Um, no, happy Father's Day to those of you who are dads. Hope you get a little bit spoiled um, today by uh, your kids and um, your family. Um, if this is your first time at Grace Point, this is the last part of a six-part series. So you are coming in to the credits of the movie, okay? Um, and I encourage you to go back um, on our website, gracepointtopeka.org, and, and watch all of the, the, the sessions. But basically, we've been tracking, we've gone through the majority of the book of Genesis, tracking with uh, one of the very first family narratives um, in the Bible, and in the spirit of our series title, The, the Far From Perfect Family, um, I want to start by telling you about a guy named Jim. Um, Jim, when he was five years old, um, his alcoholic father left his mom and four siblings. He was the youngest of five, which forced his mom to begin working two jobs just to make, just to make ends meet. Um, she eventually remarried, and her second husband loved her, cared for her, protected her, provided for her, um, but wasn't real connected with her five kids. Um, he, was, he was big on rules and discipline, not real keen on affection and attention. When Jim was eight years old, his mom was diagnosed with cancer and died when he was nine. And their stepdad didn't handle that real well, didn't even show up for the funeral. While the kids were at the funeral, he emptied their house of all their furniture, packed up all of their belongings in a box, leaving those five kids to fend for themselves. Uh, the night of their mom's funeral, they slept on the floor covered by clothes they pulled out of the boxes. And the next day, they entered the foster care system, bouncing from one family to another. His biological father eventually um, re-entered the picture in his early teens. Um, he actually lived with his biological father for about a year, but because he didn't deal with his alcoholic past, that year was horrific for Jim. Went back into the foster care system when he was 14 or 15 years old. He learned that his biological father had committed suicide, moved back and forth in between two older brothers, eventually and surprisingly managed to graduate from high school, and moved into adulthood alone, living in a trailer. My question for Jim, Jim, how do you handle that kind of hurt? How do you, what, what do you do with hurt piled on top of hurt, piled on top of hurt, piled on top Heard. This is the question that I have for, or we could ask Joseph, our main character, for today as well. It's not just Jim, it's Joseph. Pastor Josh um, introduced us to Joseph last week. He was son number 11 of 12. Those 12 kids came from the same dad, but four different moms. The coat that his dad gave Joseph was both proof that he was the favored son, but it was also a point of pain for his brothers because it represented the love and affection that Jacob had for Joseph. It also represented all the love and affection that their moms didn't get from Jacob. And the 10 older brothers hated Joseph. We won't recount all the details, but their hatred of him um, lands him in Egypt, 17 years old. 
sold into slavery by your siblings, what do you do with that kind of hurt? If you're with us a few weeks ago, you'll remember how this sequence played out with his brothers. First, they were hurt because of the affection they didn't get from their dad, the affection their moms didn't get. Then they hate Joseph, the one who gets the affection. And then they turn around and hurt him by selling him into slavery and hurting their father by lying about it. There's just hurt piled on top of hurt, piled on top of hurt. There's the hurt that happens to you, the hurt that happens in you, and then the hurt that happens through you. It's hurt, hate, hurt. It's actually, it's actually the natural flow of hurt if you don't do something different. So Joseph, what are you going to do with that hurt? But it's not just for Joseph, is it? It's not just for Jim. It's a, it's a question for some of us. Some of you, you're, you, you, you had a parent that bailed on you really early on. Or, or maybe you had a parent that died really early on. What do you do with that kind of hurt? Some of you lost a, a grandparent, a, a grandma, a grandpa that you were closer to than anybody else. What do you do with that kind of hurt? Some of you have a child, and I know some of your stories. Some of you have a child that is working overtime to make your life really, really not boring. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do with that kind of hurt? Those of you who've experienced betrayal, abandonment, abuse, and marriage, what do you do with that hurt? What do you do? I want to show you what Joseph does with his hurt and, and maybe what we can learn from that. So Joseph, at this point in the story, is thoroughly Egyptian. He, he's been in Egypt for a while. He's no longer in prison. He's in charge of grain storage and distribution. He, he dresses like an Egyptian, eats like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian. Thank you. Yes. He's even married. He's married an Egyptian woman. And they have a son. Happy Father's Day, Joseph. He has a son. Look what he names his first son. This is Genesis 41, 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The name Manasseh is a, it's a, it's a word play. It somehow meant that God had helped him forget all the pain that happened to him, all that hurt. His firstborn son helped him forget. Son number two, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God has, God has allowed me to prosper in this same place that I've experienced so much pain. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The, the first thing I think we see Joseph do, Joseph decides to heal Joseph decides to heal. And as you hear that, some of you go, can you decide to heal? <laughs> like, can you, just, can you just will yourself to heal? Can you wake up one day and say, I think today's a good day to heal from all that emotional stuff in my past? Well, here's, here's my question. Have you ever seen anybody decide not to heal? They hold on to their pain, their hurt, so tenaciously. It infects their life and affects the lives of those around them. So I guess I would just say, if you can will yourself not to heal, I think you can will yourself to, you can make the decision to heal. Joseph decides 
to heal. Even in what he names his kids, he, he didn't decide to be sold into slavery, didn't decide to, to have Mrs. P lie about him, didn't decide to go to prison. He didn't will any of that, but he does will, he does decide to heal. Joseph is second in command in Egypt, right? Um, they have seven years of bumper crops, so much grain, they run out of space. Those seven years, they know, are followed by seven years of famine. We're going to pick up the story two years into those seven years of famine. They still have five years left. At this point, Joseph is 39. It's been 22 years, two decades since his brother sold him into slavery. And the camera, um, the camera's focused on Joseph at the end of Genesis 41, but then in Genesis 42, at least at the beginning, it shifts back north to Canaan, to Jacob, his dad, and his brother. So here's Genesis 42, starting in verse one. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you sitting there with that dumb look on your face? Why do you sit there? Why do you keep looking at each other? I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. This is not like it was during COVID. Get to Sam's before they run out of toilet paper. Okay, this is, we are going to die. And we is no longer just Jacob and his boys and his wives. His boys have families. His boys, some of them are grandparents at this point. They're no longer just a family. They're a small tribe. This is a matter of life and death. Look at verse 3. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. How many sons total were there? 12. Joseph's already in Egypt. He sends 10. That leaves how many at home? Hmm. Why doesn't he send all 11? But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Does daddy have a new favorite? Benjamin is not a seventh grader. Benjamin is in his 30s. Benjamin is probably married. Benjamin probably has a family. And dad says, sit down. You're not going anywhere. Dad has a new favorite. So 10 brothers head south seeking out this guy in charge of grain distribution. He looks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian. You were supposed to sing it, but that's okay. <laughs> he even has an Egyptian name, Zaphnath Pania. Right? And his brothers show up one day. Here it is. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Not very Jesus-y, is it? Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Part of the reason is because he looks completely different. He's also speaking to them through an interpreter. He's not speaking Hebrew to them. He accuses them of being spies sent to, to find the weaknesses in their border security. And they go, no, 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 we're not spies. <laughs> we're all brothers. One of them is back home with our dad, and one of them uh, went away. A few years back. Joseph says, prove it. Prove it. I'll, I'll keep one of your brothers here as collateral until you return with your younger brother. They grab Simeon, second born, tie him up. You will not see me. You will not get any grain until you come back with this alleged younger brother you claim to have. But he does, he does give them grain. He, he sells them grain, loads up their donkeys, and they head home. What's going on here? What, what, what's Joseph doing? 
Well, he first had to make the decision to heal. But the second thing he does is he decides to wait. He decides to wait. It's going to take these guys months to get home, run out of grain, and then come back. Joseph's willing to wait that out because I can imagine him thinking, it's been 22 years. What's three to six months? Joseph is, is deciding to wait. Why? I think it's because there's some information he wants to know. There's some information he doesn't have. There's some questions in the back of his mind that he wants answered. So he decides to wait. And I think this is so important for us, especially when it comes to family hurt. Because when we're hurt, when we're frustrated, when we're upset, when we're mad, all of that stuff, it has a tendency to blur good judgment. Are you tracking with me? Hurt often affects our judgment to the point that we do or say something we regret. So try this one on. We will never spend another holiday at your family's house. We will never vacation at your parents' house again. Okay. Never is a long time. Did you just make a decision where you're not going to spend Christmas in 2035? Like, is it possible to make long-term decisions based on short-term emotion? Is that wise? Is that a great idea? Sometimes I think we need to slow down, dial it back, power down, make a better long-term decision when the short-term emotion goes away. Parents, and I'm speaking to me just as, just as much as anybody, the, the one New Testament directive that I have disobeyed the most is fathers, do not exasperate your children. Sometimes, parents, we, we just need to, 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 to not allow our frustration, our, our anger, guide our discipline. You, you are grounded for two months. You will not leave this house. Well, number one, number one, are you thinking straight when you're mad? Are you thinking straight when you're angry? And number two, he's four. <laughs> Dial it down, right? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we allow, shouldn't we show our kids that, that we can make better decisions when the emotion subsides? Well, maybe sit on it for a couple hours. Allow the emotion to die down so it doesn't affect your other. But this is what Joseph does. Joseph looked at his brother. It's going to take three chapters of your Bible to unfold. But there's some information he wants to know. There's a question in the back of his mind. He wants to gather all the data before he makes his decision. So Joseph decides to heal. And then Joseph decides to wait. While he's waiting, his brothers are in a bit of a pickle when they get back home. Simeon's in Egypt, in prison, nine brothers show up and go, Dad, if you ever want to see your second born again, we need to take your last born back with us to Egypt. They're flipping out, so is Dad, but for different reasons. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Just just do something for me here. Can you read those last four words with me out loud? Ready? Everything is against me. There is not near enough wine in your voice. <laughs> Say it again with more wine. Ready? Everything's against me. 
Don't you feel like that sometimes? It's not true, but we feel like it. We feel like it. And because we know how the story ends, we want to go, Jacob, there's a redemption story unfolding here. God is at work in and around your family, dude. See the bigger picture. Just wait. But because he feels like everything's against me, Jacob says, no way. No how is Benjamin going back with you. But the grain supply gets lower and lower and lower and lower. Eventually, he says, we need more grain. Go back to Egypt and buy more. Now, can you hear this argument playing out in your family? Dad, the man said we wouldn't get a meeting with him unless we brought our younger brother with us. Why did you tell him you had a younger brother? He asked us if we had any other younger siblings and how our dad is. How are we supposed to know he was going to ask that? This story is so human. And, and, and finally, Jacob relents. Okay, take Benjamin with you, but take some gifts for the man. Take some almonds, take some honey, take some herbs. Jacob is acting like Jacob. He's still plotting. He's still greasing the wheels. He's still, some habits die hard. He's still trying to, to make a path. So, so they take all these gifts with them to Egypt, lay them before Joseph. Simeon's brought out. All the brothers are there before him. And Joseph looks at all 11 of his brothers in the same room for the first time in 22 years. Do you think that room was emotionally neutral? No. As he looked about, saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. He's overcome with emotion. Cleans himself up. He invites his brothers to dinner, and as his steward places them around the table, he puts them in birth order. Now, because these boys were born from different moms, some of these guys are born months apart. They're all somewhere in their 40s. They all look about the same age. So they're thinking, how in the world did this dude know our birth order? He supersizes Ben's meal compared to all the others. And I don't think Joseph watched Ben eat. I think he watched the other brothers watching Ben eat. Because they're thinking to themselves, great. He's dad's favorite and he's this dude's favorite too. <laughs> Get up the next morning, donkeys are loaded with grain. They head home, breathing a huge sigh of relief. The end. No, that would be a terrible ending to the story. <laughs> They get to the outskirts of town, look behind them. They see a small Egyptian army coming to them. Joseph's steward says, how dare you come into my master's home? Enjoy my master's hospitality. Eat at my master's table and then steal my master's silver goblet. And they make a long-term decision based on short-term emotion. What? You're accusing us of stealing? Inspect all of our bags. If you find that silver cup on any of us, feel free to put that man to death. So they go to Reuben's bag. They go to Simeon's bag. They go to Dan and Judah and Naphtali and Zebulun. And it's not in their bag, but they get to Benjamin's bag. And guess what's in Benjamin's bag? 
the silver cup. Feels a little set up to me, doesn't it? They head back to Joseph with their stomachs in their throat. Joseph says to them, but Joseph said, far be it for me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Just leave the kid. I won't kill him, but you got to leave him here. And this is the moment. This is the stage. This is the conversation that Joseph has been waiting for for 22 years. Here's what he wanted to know. You guys going to do it again? You going to break our dad's heart again? Anything changed over the last 22 years? Have you learned anything? You guys going to do it again? And we know, we know how the story ends, at least those of you who have heard the story before. But in this moment, his brothers have every opportunity to say to Joseph, take him. Take him. He's always been dad's favorite. He, he and his brother, always dad's favorite. Dad never looked on us with the affection that he looks on him. So yeah, go, good riddance, take him. They had that option. But in this moment, Judah, the fourth born, the brother who convinced them to sell Joseph into slavery speaks up. And he says, there's only two of us from this mom out of the 12 of us. My dad is so interwoven with this kid because his other brother disappeared years ago. If anything happens to him, it will be the end of my dad. So instead of taking him, would you please take me? I'll, I'll sacrifice myself on behalf of Benjamin. Judah offers to take Benjamin's place. Side note. Nikki alluded to this a few weeks ago. Did you know Jesus doesn't come from the tribe of Reuben, the oldest? Do you know that Jesus doesn't come from the line of the more famous Joseph or the favored Benjamin? Do you know Jesus doesn't even come from the priestly line of Levi? Jesus comes from the line of Judah, the one who sacrificed himself for his brother. You can find Jesus all over the Old Testament if you look for him. Joseph sees in this moment that there's significant change that's taken place in the last 22 years, at least in one of his brothers. And then Joseph is faced with another decision. He had to make the decision to heal. He had to make the decision to wait. The waiting is over. And the third decision he makes is the decision to be a healer. Instead of compounding the damage, he decides to be an agent of healing for this far from perfect family. He actually breaks down and just starts weeping in their presence. He, he, he barks out orders in Egyptian for all of his servants to leave. So it's just he and his brothers. And then Zaphnath Paneah, the guy in charge of grain distribution, starts to speak to these 10 in Hebrew. Here's what he says. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And the first, one, the first question he wants to know is, dad's still alive. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I bet they were. <laughs> they were. They were looking at a ghost, right? They thought he was long gone. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. 
When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God, what? Sent me ahead of you. Here it is. You guys sold me. God sent me. You guys sold me. But God sent me. If I wasn't in this position, if I didn't have the authority over Egypt and grain distribution like I have for the last nine years, our entire family could be dead right now. So you guys sold me. God sent me. And it was awful. And it was terrible. And something inside of me was crushed. But God did it to rescue and to save. You sold me. God sent me. In Genesis 50, last chapter, the book of Genesis, Joseph would say it like this. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant wickedness, but God meant goodness. And what I love about how this family story ends is that Joseph operates from a completely different script than his brothers. His brothers operated with the natural hurt, hate, hurt. That's where hurt goes if, you, if, if we let it run rampant. But Joseph operates from a different script. It looked more like this. He was hurt, but he made the decision to heal, and then he became healer. And we need a whole lot more healers today. We need a whole lot more healers. And I wonder if some of you, if some of you might need to put that first script down and pick this one up. Because, because the family that you were born into, your, your family of origin, the way that you experienced the things that you saw, the hurt, hate, sh- hurt, hurt, hate, hurt script is what you're using. It's your standard operating manual. But, but maybe, maybe God wants to do something radically different. Hurt, yes, we all deal with it. We all are hurt. We all carry hurt. But what if God is calling you into a better story? What if he wants you to be healer? and not just hurt. So I, I want to go back to Jim. Terrible upbringing. Alcoholic father, terrible hurt, lost his mom at a young age, stepdad takes off, biological father commits suicide. At age 15, he had some success playing football. Some of his coaches were Jesus followers and invited him to a, a camp run by Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And Jim shows up to that camp with a cavernous hole in his heart. And the speaker starts talking about the love of Christ and how Jesus came to fill the hole in their hearts. And and his life is still a gigantic mess at 15. But Jim starts to receive the love of Christ and starts to get that hole filled inside of him. His name's Jim Daly. Today, he's the president of Focus on the Family. He, he saw um, years ago that there were 900 kids in an area of Colorado whose parents lost all parental rights. 900 kids just going from foster home to foster home, foster home until they aged out and they tried to find their way in the world. Jim Daly knew what that was like. So Jim Daly started a campaign called Wait No More, and he rallied churches 
in, in the front range of the Rocky Mountains to adopt as many of those 900 kids as he could. He got churches to adopt 600 of the 900 kids to be a part of a family. And, and, and all I'm saying is, what I would suggest to you is that that happened not in spite of the hurt Jim Daly experienced, but because of it. His, his woundedness, out of his wounds came a healing that brought forth incredible passion to see children loved well in secure families. And so the question, the question I have for Jim is, Jim, what do you do with that kind of hurt? <laughs> what did you do with your hurt? And here's Jim's oversimplified answer in his own words. He says, embrace the pain. Don't pretend it never happened. Awful is awful. Don't numb out. Embrace it. Secondly, find Jesus in it because he's there. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Jesus is there. Number three, let him heal you. Make the decision to allow him to heal you. Number four, use that experience to fuel your passion in life as a healer. Embrace the pain. Find Christ in it. Let him heal you. Use it as fuel for your passion. And I know, I understand, we are condensing years of healing into a few sentences. But I don't know that I could say it any better than somebody who's experienced it and done it has. All I've been trying to say today, all I've been trying to say throughout this series is that there is hope for our far from perfect families. Our hope is not that everything will go well and we'll never face difficult things. God never promises you that. He actually promises you the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. Our hope is that God can be trusted even when difficult things come our way. Even when we, we can't make sense of it, even when we don't understand, even when we can't see the end of the story, even when we can't see good coming from bad, even when we can't see goodness coming from wickedness, God can be trusted because he's at work in all the middle of it to redeem, to restore, to rescue, to save. In the middle of the mess, in the middle of your far from perfect family. Genesis ends and, and, and do Joseph and his brothers go back to Canaan? No. They stay in Egypt. Second book of the Bible is Exodus. And Exodus begins by telling us that there was a king in Egypt that neither knew or revered Joseph. They'd forgotten Joseph. And this family explodes. They go from a family to a tribe to a nation in Egypt. And they're enslaved. God sends a shepherd named Moses. And Moses stands before the most powerful man on the face of the planet at the time. And he says to him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says, let my people go. What would have happened if Joseph decided to repay evil for evil? What would have happened if he didn't decide to be healer? What will happen in a hundred years in your family if you don't? You can decide. You can decide. I'm going to heal. You can decide to wait. 
and you can decide to be the healer. And Joseph is a great example for you. Jesus is an even better example for you. Jesus is the better Joseph. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer for my friends, for the families that are represented here is very, very simple. Is that through your spirit, by the power of your word, would penetrate our hearts in such a way that we can't get away from it. We may be able to leave this place and and the emotion of this place dies down we get in our cars and we go home and we go about our week, but we can't get away from your spirit. That you would show us, you would reveal to us what it looks like to make a decision to heal. We're all going to face hurt, but we can decide to heal. We can decide to be patient. We can decide to wait. We can take a step back. And then we can look for your leadership, for your guidance, and we can do some hard things and decide wherever it looks like in our family, in our marriage, relationship with our kids, relationship with our grandparents, relationship with our grandkids, whatever it looks like, for us to step in and be the peacemakers. I ask this, I pray this, in the name of Jesus, who gives us the strength, who gives us the example, and who fills us with his very presence to do these things. I pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, if that's not difficult enough, we start a series on forgiveness next week. So join us for that. It's going to be fun, all right? Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You're dismissed.